So if you will turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're continuing on in our study in Luke. Today we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 38. Luke chapter 2, 36 through 38. It says this, And there was a prophetess, Anna, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Heavenly Father, we just come before You today, Lord, before Your throne of grace and Lord, I would just ask that You would help me today, God, to speak the truth, protect me from error, God. Help us all to receive the truth. Father, that Your Holy Spirit would minister to each one here and those who may hear the message. And Lord, we just pray that Your will would be done, that Christ would be glorified, Father, and we'd be drawn closer to Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. So really, this whole section here... uh, the section we looked at last week, starting in verse 25, we, we looked at a little bit of the life of Simeon, really all the Bible says about him. And then you have Anna today following Simeon. And then you had these, these next two verses, verses 39 and 40, which I originally included in this message, but I took them out <laughs> this morning. I changed everything. Because I think we can just focus on Anna. But uh, really what we see... Today, this, this really could have been included in last week's sermon, looking at Simeon and Anna, but I feel like I, everything I said last week needed to be said, and it was a fairly long sermon, so you know I don't regret that or anything, but it very easily could have, because we're, we're just looking at another faithful follower of God here, is what we're looking at. Um, part of the, the, the title of the sermon was uh, Anna's Faithfulness. And the, and the boy Jesus, but I change it up. We're going to save that till next time. But so the title of the message is do you, is, is Do you long to be in church? Do you long to be in church? Um, because really, what we're going to see in Anna's life today again is another picture of a faithful follower of Yahweh, faithful follower of the Messiah, one who is expecting the Messiah. So if you remember last week, guys, we talked about Simeon being his life being led by the Spirit, really the reality of the Holy Spirit in his life, so just by way of review. Um, his was a... He had that, that reality of the Spirit in his life, and so we talked about that, of um, every believer in Christ. We're going to have the reality of the Holy Spirit in our life because the Spirit indwells us at the time of conversion. And we talked about what it meant to be led by the Spirit. Anybody who is led by the Spirit... Some of the results of that, the, the obvious results of that is going to be a righteous life. When you're being led by the Spirit of God, you're going to live a righteous life. Not just in the fact that we have been credited the righteousness of Christ, imputed the righteousness of Christ, but our very lives are going to begin to change from, from that which we lived before we knew Christ in a righteous life, a devout life, right? A life that's devout towards God, where God and Christ is really the central aspect of our life. Not in perfection, but that's, that's the desire of the believer. It's going to be somebody who is, who is looking for Christ's coming. Who is anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ. Really, whatever, 
whatever particular eschatological view you hold, the desire is the same to see Christ, right? Because He is the victor. He, he is the one who wins. He is the one who rescues His people and judges the wicked. He makes all things right. Somebody who is led by the Spirit, with the Spirit of God living inside of them, the Spirit reveals truth to us. Does He not? When we think about your, your, you know, some people are not educated at all by that very term, being educated in the things of the world, but have such a wisdom in the things of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, He does that. He, he, he reveals truth to any believer. He reveals truth. He, he also gives the desire to proclaim it. And He leads us into the presence of Christ, right? When you're following, being led by the Spirit, it always leads to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's not leading anybody to necessarily to His own presence. You know, the Holy Spirit's not saying, look at me, look at me. It's saying, look to Christ. And, in a, and then we looked at a life that is thankful for Christ. Simeon, singing his praise to God. And we talked about that, how we should be Christians who our hearts should be filled with thankfulness to God for all things, but especially for His Son, Jesus Christ. We're going to see many of the same things today in Anna's life. And we talked about a life that is cross-centered, right? That Christ was assigned to be opposed that this world opposes Jesus Christ, and they're going to oppose you too, guys. If we're faithful to Christ, it doesn't mean everybody's always going to hate you. So don't go out and try to like make people hate you. <laughs> Just love Christ and love people. That, that'll come. And sometimes it'll be from people that you love dearly. And maybe they won't say they hate you, but there'll just be that opposition. That he, he talked about a sword that'll pierce your own soul to Mary. Speaking about the cross, watching her son die upon the cross. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will, you will experience that. A sword, in a sense, to your own soul uh, by those you love as Christ. You know, as, the, as the very one you want them to know, you want them to love, and there's pushback from them. So I think we all experience that. Just, just some of the realities of following Jesus Christ. And I think we're going to see another one today, guys, that we can just add on. Um, which really, I think this would have been very appropriate to include this in last week's sermon, but it just would have made it too long. And so, somebody who's been transformed by the grace of God through faith in Christ, that's following Christ, that's filled with the Spirit, you're going to long to be in church. Okay, You're going to be along to be with God's people. You're going to long to worship the Lord. I don't know about you, but that all changed in my life, that conversion. As a false convert, I had no longing for it. Somebody would have to twist my arm. Usually it was Jamie from a distance. Hey, you go to church. But because I knew as a professing Christian I need to be there, but I didn't have any desire to be there because I love my sin. That all changed after conversion. And I know everybody's testimony is different. Um, and so we may struggle to find a church that we agree with and these type of things, but there's going to be a longing. There's going to be a longing for the true Christian to be with God's people. Because God puts that longing in our hearts. We know that when we come to Christ, His desires steadily become our desires because He places them there. And part of, the, part of that, one of those desires is a longing to be with God's people. So the title of the message is, Do You Long to Be in Church? <laughs> Do you long to be in church? I hope you guys will please not take this message as... Because um, I think in many ways I'm, speak, I'm preaching to the choir here. So don't, don't take any of these as um, some kind of legalistic bat over the head, you know, with a club. Not at all. Not at all. Listen to John Newton. He says this, John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace. 
He says, safely through another week, God has brought us on our way. Let us now a blessing seek, waiting in His courts today. He says this, day of all the week, speaking about this day, the Lord's day, day of all the week, the best emblem of eternal rest. That means it's a symbol. It's symbolizing that, that day of eternal rest. And then he just repeats that last sentence. Day of all the week, the best. He's saying this is the best day. This is the best day of the week. Emblem of eternal rest. So I hope that's, guys, by uh, just a little bit by way. That's kind of my thoughts in this message. Is uh, John Newton saying, "Man, this is as a Christian, guys. This would be this should be the day we look forward to, not out of legalism, but out of man. This is the day that Christ He has set apart in His Word. The day that He rose from the dead. Everything changed after His resurrection. Even those faithful Jews begin to meet on the first day. Why? It's because a day." We can set aside and remember the resurrection of Christ that He rose again so that you and I can be right with God. And it's a day that, that, that God has established, a day that we can, again, not in legalism, but, but a day that really pictures the eternal rest that we're going to have. Right? Because who's our rest? Our rest is not actually even in a day. Okay? Yeah, we are to set this day aside. I believe the Scripture teaches the best we can. We're to, we're, to, we're to make Christ central the best we can, but really our rest is Him. He says, come to Me and I'll give you rest. So this is just a, a picture of that. A picture, and it's also, again, setting aside this day the best we can to really focus on Christ and be with our brothers and sisters. Be with those who actually agree with us. Right? Go out and mingle with the world and start proclaiming this message. You'll, you'll appreciate meeting with your brothers and sisters. Like, man, he's a weird one like me. He's a peculiar one like me. <laughs> we have a love for this Christ that we've never seen. It's just a reminder, guys, that we're not alone. Okay, we're not alone. We have each other. We have others out there as well. Okay, God always have, has His remnant. There's always that 7,000 that hasn't bowed the knee to Baal like He told the prophet Elijah. God always, He has His people out here, and he, but He also has us right here together. And so let's remember that as we talk about this message today. Do you long to be in church? Do you long to be in church? And there would always be somebody, the, the theologian, who would come along and say, oh, don't you know the church is not a building? Yes, I realize that. So you guys know what I mean. Do you long to be with God's people? Do you long to be with God's people? That's the church. And so one point today, guys. Anna's faithfulness and example to us. Anna's faithfulness and example to us. We're going to be reminded... Through the faithfulness of Anna, like Simeon, like uh, Joseph, like Mary, like Elizabeth, like Zacharias, that God always has His remnant. As the nation of Israel was largely really just apostate, we talked about last week, He always has His faithful people. And Anna is another one of those pictures of a, of a faithful woman of the Lord. And so verse 36, we'll just start out here, guys. <clears throat> and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advancing years and lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So really just a little bit by way of background, um, some historical background here, and then we'll move on, get into the heart of the message. It says she's a prophetess. There was a prophetess. Um, this word is used of 
Speaking of women, a few times in the Old Testament, one other time in the New Testament. A few of the times in the Old Testament, you have Deborah, for example, in Judges chapter 4, was uh, given this, this name, a prophetess. Miriam, who is Moses' sister in Exodus 15, was given this name. A lady by the name of Huldah, that King Josiah sent in 2 Kings 22, was given this name. And Isaiah's wife in Isaiah chapter 8 was given this name. Now many times in the Old Testament, uh, they were um, given a prophecy in sorts of, of what would happen in the future. That type of prophecy. Uh, really given the will of God for God's people of maybe what, maybe what happened. But not always. And then in, in the New Testament, we see Philip's, the evangelist Philip, his four daughters in Acts 21 were uh, prophetesses. And so, again, this was not a common thing in the Scriptures for women to be given this title. Re- really, regardless of what it means, it's just not a common thing that you see. But these are some of the times you see it, as well as Anna here. Now this doesn't mean, because we really don't know what the word, what it signifies in Anna's life. What it meant by being a prophetess. It doesn't mean that she predicted the future. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. The text really doesn't say. But what it does mean is she proclaimed God's word. She, she, was, she proclaimed God's word, maybe just in the sense of testifying that this is the Messiah. And so, pretty much every commentary agreed on that that really there's no way of knowing exactly what this means. And it's not a common thing. And so Anna, like Simeon, really only mentioned and described here, or by Luke, and her name, it means grace. That's what the name means. Phanuel, not much is known about him as well. This is her father, except that he was of the tribe of Asher. And just by way of just a little bit of history about that, um, of the tribe of Asher. This is one of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom taken captive by Assyria in 722 B.C. And so, I think it was MacArthur that, that mentioned the so-called ten lost tribes were not lost. When you, when you look at how God just preserved this individual out of this tribe. In Second Chronicles chapter 30, before the fall of the northern kingdom, in response to the letters from Hezekiah in Judah, He was commanding those in the northern kingdom, Asher, again, Asher was part of the northern kingdom, Hezekiah was commanding those in the northern kingdom guilty of idolatry, because that's that's why they were being uh, sent into uh, the Assyrian bondage to begin with. So Hezekiah sent out a command, commanded those in the northern kingdom guilty of idolatry to return to the Lord by coming to Jerusalem. And in verse 11 of 2 Chronicles chapter 30, it says, Some men of Asher, Manasseh and Zebulun, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And so their descendants, these men from Asher, their descendants will be among those who roughly a hundred years, or a little more than a hundred years later, would be carried away to Babylon and then be, and then be returned, returned to Israel after exile. So you can see God preserving some in this little tribe of Asher um, through Hezekiah's command. Now again, that's just a little bit of history about Asher that I read about that was interesting. So that's anyway, that's where uh, that's, she's, a, she's a part of the tribe of Asher. And it says this in verse 36, guys. Prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband 
seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. Now we're just kind of getting some of the technical things out of the way real quickly. It says advanced in years. Um, and lived with her husband, so she was married at one time when she was young, seven years after her marriage. So she was married seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. So we know she's at least 84 years old right now. This literally has, it can mean two different things. Okay, Either it means, this phrase means, she had now been a widow for 84 years, which if that's the case, she would be well up, probably over 100 years old. Or it just simply means she had now reached the age of 84. It really doesn't matter, but just wanted to point that out. Most commentators think that she was probably actually 84 years old here, not, not like 105 or whatever, however old she would be. So that really is not important in our message today, but just getting some of those things uh, cleared in case your mind's wondering about that. And so in verse 37... Says she was then a widow at the age of 84. It says she never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. This is really, really getting to the heart of our message here. That this faithful woman of God never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. This maybe means that she she had living quarters within the temple. We don't know. Maybe she lived there. But the important thing is, what do we see here? When we look at her life, when we think of her, when we look into her life, her faithfulness, Anna was constantly at worship, you could say. Constantly in the temple, constantly worshiping God. Listen to what Psalm 84, verse 2 says that we read in our scripture reading. It says, My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. The psalmist says, My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says on that verse. The psalmist declared that he wept. First, I thought this was David, but when I read that psalm, it wasn't David. He wasn't the author of this psalm. So Spurgeon says, The psalmist declared that he wept. That's what's going on in this verse. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. He says, the psalmist declared that he wept, that he sighed. He pleaded for the privilege. He says this, Spurgeon says this, some, meaning some people, need to be whipped to church. That was me as a false convert, I can promise you that. It was torture. (laughs) He says, some need to be whipped to church while here the psalmist is crying for it. Just the privilege of being in the house of the Lord. Worshiping the Lord. What a powerful statement that is, guys. That some people need to have their arms twisted. Professing Christians. Their arms twisted to be in the Lord's house. Every excuse not to be there. Every, Really every love of the, of, of the flesh, of the world, entertainment, whatever the case may be. There's some people profess to know Christ but they have no desire to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. There's something wrong with that picture, guys. We should be more in line with the psalmist that I get to be in the Lord's house because of what Christ has done for me. I get to be with other people who love Him. So if we can find a church where we hear the truth taught and and Christ loved and adored, 
We should love to be there. should love to be there. So what about you? Is it a longing of your heart to be with God's people? You know, and I would say the emphasis in the Scriptures is on the Lord's Day, but really the emphasis is on just when the Lord, when, the, when God's people meet and you have the ability to be there. Not, again, not in, this is not a me beating you over the head, anything like that. There's been plenty of times in my Christian life that I could not make certain times when the Lord's people met. So that's not what I'm saying. Check your heart is what I'm saying. Is, a long, is it a longing of your heart like the psalmist? Or is it, as it, like we were talking about yesterday, well, I'll be there if I, if I ain't got nothing better to do. Hopefully that's not your mentality. When, when it talks about in Scripture, the Lord's people meeting on the Lord's Day, or really any other time we we're able to meet, hopefully you have a desire to be there and you, and you, and you do when you're able and so what we see, guys, is Anna was constantly at worship. We see that she was elderly. She was an old lady. Whether she was 84 or 105 or whatever age she was, she was an elderly lady. And she was present continually at really all the services. If you want to really kind of trans- transfer that to our day, both public and private is, is the idea here. She was consumed with the worship of God, the worship of Christ, and what we also see in this verse is she was living a very disciplined life. And that's what the Christian life is, is it not? A very disciplined life. We are talking about in our Bible study. Being intentional, right? We have to be intentional with the Christian life because it's not natural. Our flesh fights against it. We have to, we have to discipline ourselves regardless of what area of the Christian life it is. Whether it's Bible study, Bible reading... Uh, being with people, being with God's people on the Lord's day, through, but but that's what we see in her life. It says she was, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers, fasting and prayers, guys. Anytime you see fasting in the Bible, guys, it's always accompanied with prayer. That's the idea. Fasting is not an end in of itself. Fasting is a way that God has, it's something God has established that we can focus more on Christ. It'll it'll enhance your prayers. And really, I think the Lord leads each individual person to fast. Although there are times in Scripture where we're, there's a public fast. But really the idea is that really kind of focusing on Christ, right? Setting, setting some of the comforts of the world, sometimes it's food, aside for a time so that we can focus on Christ. And so fasting, there's nothing, there's nothing magical about fasting, but we're to use it in the Christian life at times when God leads us to. to really focus our prayers, focus our attention so we're not distracted by different things in the world. You can fast, you know, fasting from food, fasting from a, some kind of comfort, uh, fasting from uh, entertainment. I don't think it ever calls to fast from coffee. I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But any, anything that would, that really, you just, there's times when you just want to devote yourselves to prayer. And so sometimes you can just, you know, set aside breakfast. Um, whatever the case may be, and just really seek the Lord in prayer. But that's what we see here, guys. She's disciplined. Um, never leaving the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. Really what I see, because you know it speaks of her being a young girl, being married. Uh, the idea is being a virgin, being married. Now she's a widow. And as I think about her life, God, guys, all of this speaks to our different stages in life. Really being faithful to Christ no matter what stage of life. We're in. At this point, she was elderly. She was a widow. And so we all go through different stages of life, guys. We're all, 
We are all in here in different stages of life right now. So it's not a cookie cutter deal. We're in different stages of life, whether it's whether it's age related, that's just different stages of life. Being a young being a young virgin girl or being a young married lady as compared to being an elderly or and a widow. We're all in different stages. Some of it's age related, some of it is just circumstance related. That we're all in different stages. But the question we need to ask ourselves, guys, is regardless of what stage you're in, what can I do? Um, what can I do to demonstrate to, or to live this, this, this faithful, disciplined life? What can I do? Because God, again, He places us in different stages. Sometimes we're really, really, really busy at certain stages in our life. Sometimes we may feel like God has put us on a shelf. What can I do? So that's what I want to speak to you about, guys. What, what can I do? What can you do to live a faithful, disciplined Christian life? Maybe you're a... Uh, I'm speaking to you guys in here, but others maybe who obviously would listen to this message. Maybe you're a stay-home mom. Maybe you're not a mom yet, but you will be. You know, maybe you're single. Um, maybe, maybe you're married. With no children, but married and you have children. Maybe I'm just trying to think of all the different stages of life. Maybe you're like Anna. You could say you're on up into your years, you're retired. Retired from your secular job. So just whatever stage of life you're in, just place yourself wherever you're at, guys, is what I'm getting at. Wherever you're at in life, guys, God has called us to be faithful. He's called us to live a, a, a disciplined, faithful Christian life. It doesn't matter what stage you're at, what what circumstance in life God has you, how old you are, how young you are. If you profess the name of Christ, then you're you're included here. So what first of all, what can we all do, regardless of our age, regardless of where God has you, regardless of whether God has you? As I know we have we've had different people in the church, I've been there. Regardless of whether whether he whether he has you working just unreal hours on your job. To where you're just overwhelmed. What can we all do, guys? And it's not a little thing. And the answer is rather obvious. We can all pray. That's what we see Anna doing here. Faithful in prayer. You know how many, you know how many elderly women I've known over the years who are faithful in prayer? Those are the people I flock to when it comes to asking for prayer. Because I've known them. And I've seen God honor their prayers. And I know they're faithful to pray. I've said this before. Why do I post prayer requests on Facebook that we're going out to preach? Because of that reason right there. Because I stopped doing it for a period of time. Church was that before. And I had these women, these Annas come up and say, please let us know when you're going because I pray for you. Because that's, right, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. So we can all pray, guys. We can all pray. We can all fast when God leads us to fast and pray. And so, that's one thing we can do. Can you, let me ask you a question, guys. This is all by way of you examining your heart. This is not by way of pastor beating you with a club. I, I challenge you with these things because I love you. Can you prioritize being here when we meet? Can you make that a priority in your, in your I'm not saying you don't. I'm just, this, is all, this is for all of us. Can you prioritize being here when we meet? Anna's priority 
was the house of the Lord. That's what we see clearly here. That was her priority in life. Her priority was to be in the house of the Lord. Because, like the psalmist, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a matter of legalism. Like the psalmist, she saw it as a privilege. Right? She saw it as a privilege to be in the house of the Lord. And so guys, what... what uh, and, and really guys, that should be... When we, when we think about anything that God has called us to do, it should be the idea that it's a privilege. That God has saved us, whether you're talking about evangelism, being in the house of the Lord, anything as far as us doing something for the Lord that He's called us to do, we should do it out of a love for Christ. It's a privilege, you guys. We should be in hell. What a privilege to serve Him. So let me, let me, let me ask you this question, guys. Practically speaking, what happens when you're here? What happens when you are here? Let me read a couple portions of Scripture to you guys. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We just read it. We're going to look at two portions of Scripture, guys, that I think clearly tells us the benefit of every single one of us. Okay? Not just the man behind the pulpit. There are no important people in church. and Less important people, guys, were the body of Christ. But I want, to, I want to speak to you real quickly from two portions of Scripture that I think can answer this question. This whole idea, do, do you long to be in church? What does it matter? What happens when you are here? Ephesians 4, 11-16. Let's read that again. As we did a while ago in the Scripture reading. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by, the, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Obviously, that's a lot. <laughs> so we're not going to spend much time here, but I think you can see some just real clear, immediate things. The context is the local church. Obviously, right? He gets pastors and teachers, evangelists. Those would be the, the offices that still abide today, not prophets and um, apostles. But why? For the equipment of the saints. What happens when you're here? For Well, you're able to be equipped. And, and the picture is over a long, steady period of time. Not just hit and miss, but over a long, steady period of time, you're... You're able to be equipped. Obviously, you're also equipped as you read the Word of God, as you study the Word of God. We're called to do that. But part of it is that you're taught these things to the building up of the body of Christ. So it's not just you, but it's for the whole body. It benefits the body. Until we all attain to the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God. Right? To maturity. That's what happens when you're here consistently over a period of time. God grows you. God matures you. Just in 
learning these things about who Christ is, about the Word of God. That's part of the will of God for your life. God doesn't say, hey, go to church just because you're a Christian. That's where you need to be there. No, there's a benefit to it. The measure of the stature belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer... Here it is, guys. No longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Today we're going to look at some very false doctrine in equipping our the Hebrew Israelites. And I'm going to explain to you why it's important. Because a lot of times they make us laugh. But it's really no laughing matter. People are being led to hell. Christians, I've seen these guys roll up Christians in a knot theologically. And they don't have an answer for them. Because these guys know their stuff. And we can refute them if you know the truth. And that goes away for every cult. Guys, not that a Christian is going to lose their salvation, but you can get tossed to and fro, whether it be the health and wealth gospel, whatever false gospel comes along, if you're not grounded in the truth. This is why God has given the local church, pastors and teachers, so that the saints can be built up, not tossed to and fro. So it's for your own good, for the good of the body, for the good of the law, for the good of the lost. It says, but speaking the truth in love, right? How are you going to speak the truth in love if you don't know the truth? We've got to learn the truth, guys. And, and then grow. It's, it's for our growth. And then obviously, just the, the growth of the body. It's for you individually. It's for the growth of the body. For the building of itself, of itself in love. Just skim that passage. But you can see some of the immediate benefits of what happens when you're here. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Or you can just or you can just listen Hebrews 10, 23-25. Again, whether this is specifically talking about the Lord's Day is really not important here. Really any time the church gathers, but I would say primarily on the Lord's Day, the day that He has established that we meet on the first day of the week. That's when we come. That's when we gather. That's when the Word is preached. That's when Paul says your gifts are given, right? Give to the church. All of these things, it's on the first day. And so the principle is here just when we meet. But he says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawn near. You want to know what happens when you're here, guys? You grow, you're further equipped. doesn't all happen overnight. It's a steady deal. Growth, growth, growth. And you are encouraging to other believers. Believe it or not. I can testify to that. Every one of you encouraged me. We're, we're, we, it's hard to encourage one another when we're not there. That's the point. So I want you to know what happens when you're there. These things are what happen. We can stimulate one another with the truth. We can rejoice in the truth. Guys, we're not meant to be Lone Ranger Christians. I think we all know that. But, it's, but there's a reason for it. We grow when we're, with the, when we're with one another. When one of us is struggling, we need to be able to go to one another. Man, I'm just struggling here. And we, and what do we, we know each other's needs. We pray for one another. We hear the Word preached. We rejoice with one another. This Christ. Man, I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this thing. I'm not alone in these doctrines that we believe because they're right there in Scripture. And man, and so it just we need each other, guys. That's the point. We need each other. 
And so, all these things we can do, guys. God's called us to do. There's a reason for them. There's a reason for them. And when we talk about her being elderly, guys, I just want to make this point. You've probably heard this point before, but it's true, guys. There is no retirement. And there is yes, there's retirement and secular jobs. I can't wait. Happy for Jamie that he's been able to retire from those hours and, and, and Frank we talk about coming. But as far as serving the Lord, guys, there's no retirement. I hope you don't have that mentality. Man, I'm going to serve the Lord until I get to the age of 65 and I'm done. No, man, God, He just places us in different circumstances in life. Is it not a privilege, guys? It's a, it's a privilege to serve Christ to the very end. I hope that's your heart. Serve Christ to the very end until He takes your last breath away. That's my desire, is to serve Christ. It doesn't mean it's all going to look the same for every single one of us, Right? But but I hope your I hope your desire is to be faithful to the Lord till He takes you home. There is no retirement. <clears throat> Verse thirty eight, guys. What what motivated her? Verse thirty eight. What motivated her to 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 never? You know, it says she never left the temple, serving night and day. It's just a picture of faithfulness. What what was it motivated her? Verse thirty eight. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God. And continue to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So, what motivated her? Well, I think much like Simeon, like we looked at last week, she was thankful for Christ. She was thankful. She, we know she was thankful. She gave thanks to God. But I mean, she. What we see is that last phrase. She, she began to speak of Him to all those who were what? looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This, that phrase means almost the exact same thing as when last week the text said um, the consolation of Israel. The coming of the Messiah. That's, that's at the heart of all of this. It's thankful for the Messiah. And that should describe us, guys. What, what, what should motivate us in all of these things? Christ. I'm not the one that should be motivating you guys. Hey, get in church. Be in church. Be in church. No, I'm just here to remind you of these things. I'm here to remind you, right, like 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, to remind you of these things, the truth of the Gospel, of your salvation, to stir you up, like we talked about yesterday. And we're to stir each other up. We're to stir one another up. We're to stir our own selves up. By reminding ourselves, by reminding one another what Christ has done for us. And it creates a, a heart of gratitude. And so somebody doesn't have to twist my arm to come to church. I hope somebody doesn't have to twist my arm. Although I tell you what, there are days, guys, where before we ever planted this church, and I was not in this position, there were days that I just emotionally, maybe things that were going on in my life, I just, I just didn't want to be in church. And let me tell you, I still have those days. <laughs> but you have to deny yourself. And uh, So just know this, guys. Those, those are just normal things of the Christian life. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to sit here and make it sound like, man, you're just always giddy all the time about everything to do with the Lord. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what should describe us is that we should be motivated to serve Christ, to be in the Lord's house, to worship with our brothers and sisters, to love one another, to encourage one another, to sit under the preaching of the Word because we're thankful what Christ has done. 
That's really what's going to make us endure in these things. A heart that's thankful for Christ. I feel sorry for people who... I mean, I really do. Even for believers who, who, who go to church simply out of a sense of duty and, and there's no joy there. Hey guys, this shouldn't be that way. Man, we serve the living Christ who has saved us. And so what should motivate you guys in all of these things that I've mentioned, right? And being in the house of the Lord, in your prayer life, right? And your God has called us to be a witness to the world. And so, however God has given you the opportunity to do that, and if you're married with young children, those of you who are going to have young children, to teach your children these things. Because let me, before I go further, let me say that, guys. Yes, we're a small church, Right? And so, sometimes you may feel like, man, what, what do I have to do for this church? There's no position for me to serve. Understand this, guys. What did Ephesians 4 say? The purpose of the local church, pastors and teachers, is to equip the body for works of service. We've all been called to teach. Only certain people have been called to teach within the local church. But every single one of us as a Christian have been called to teach Primarily when you start having children. God wants to equip you to teach the truth to your children. If you're a husband and a wife. Right? If you're a husband, to teach your wife. If you're a wife that don't, doesn't have any children, obviously, you benefit your husband as well. Because I know I've learned a lot from my wife. But we can all find somebody who, who knows less than we do and teach them and instruct them in the things of God. So we don't, you don't necessarily come here for those works of service. You come here to be equipped so that you can minister to those in your family, those of your friends, strangers, so you can minister to them. So don't ever think that just because I don't have a teaching position at the church, well, we don't have any, a lot of children here in this church, so I can't teach the children. No, but you can be equipped so you can teach other children. And so that you can serve God as He gives you opportunities. Does that make sense? The picture, the picture is to in the local church, the body of Christ gets equipped for their own good, so they're not tossed to and fro, and so that they can go out and teach others and be a witness to this world. I hope you understand that. So God has called all of us. We we all have people we can minister to. That's the point. We all have people we can minister to. And so what should motivate you in all of these different things that we've mentioned? Church, evangelism, prayer, worship, whatever the case may be, you should be motivated by what Christ has done for you. Amen. And I know I'm speaking the obvious, but what has Christ done for you? Well, when you were a sinner, when you were in hostility towards God, He died for you to purchase your redemption, to save you. Does that ever get old? No. I hope not. Does that ever get old? Don't, don't ever think, man, we've we got to get past that gospel part. Move on to the deep stuff. Guys, there's nothing deeper. Do you realize we're going to spend all eternity worshiping this God and never fully knowing Him? The glory of the gospel. How the God of glory could come to this earth and do what He did. Why He would do what He did. Uh, we're going to worship Him for all eternity. Let that be your motivation. Let that be the motivation for everything you do that I was blind and dead in my sin and Christ through 
His incarnation set aside, which was going to be part of the message, it'll be next week, really in His humanity, that He set aside not His deity, but certain privileges of His deity. He humbled Himself so that you could be saved from your sin. So that you could be saved from an eternal hell. I mean, we, we, we can't even comprehend the grace and the love and the humility that Christ walked in to do that for us, guys. The way He was treated. He did it for you. That's what He's done for you. Meditate on the Gospel. Meditate on the holiness of God. What you truly deserve from God and instead what God has done for you. And let that be your motivation. Right? What we read yesterday. Um, you know what... <laughs> I forget what it was, but uh, Thomas Watson said that 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 Christ. Oh man, what was it, guys? That he. We can't even approach the throne of grace. What was it, Shiloh? What was that? <laughs> anyway, I know another quote by Keith Green, though. I do remember this: that many of us we can't even get out of bed, but yet Christ rose from the dead. That's the idea, guys. You think about what Christ did for you, it should motivate us to do the very little things for Him. So is Christ not enough? That's the question, guys. Is Christ not enough? Okay? Don't, don't worry about how much you're noticed by other people. Don't worry about how much you're appreciated by other people. I mean, appreciate those times when they happen, but don't let that be your hope. Don't let that because you will become discouraged. I know from, I know from experience. So don't worry about how much you're noticed, how much you're appreciated, how much you're recognized, or how many times you get a pat on the back. Beloved, are you thankful for Him? That's what should motivate us. Recognizing that He sees everything we do. He knows our motives, and we will be rewarded righteously by Christ. So so set set your gaze upon Him, follow Him, pursue Him with every ounce of fiber that you have. Why He's giving you this short life. And so if your focus is on Him, if you're thankful for Him, if that is your motivation, guys, you're being led by the Spirit. And so if you are, His desires will be your desires. It won't be be something you're always struggling against. It'll be, I get to be with the people of God today. I get to tell this lost person about Christ today. It'll become a joy His desires will be your desires. You'll begin to pray for the things that God desires you to pray for, right? I remember Ray Comfort said, we're to pray not for for thicker carpet or a bigger car, but that Christ would save the lost. Because His desires become our desires. You'll long to obey Him. You'll long to worship Him. All of this is a picture of worshiping Him. Ultimately, why do we gather? To worship Christ. That's why we gather. We worship Christ through these different ways, but it's all we gather together to worship the One who rose from the dead so that we could be saved. And you will desire to speak of Him. Look at, look at the end of verse 38. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him. To who? To all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is not even necessarily talking about evangelism. You'll desire to speak to Him like Anna to all those who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. What is this? Beloved, this is Anna being present, to use our vocabulary, being present at church in the Lord's house, 
ministering to her brothers and sisters who's longing for the same thing. Encouraging others who are waiting for the same thing. That's the picture that we see in Scripture, guys. That we gather together, right? We read it, we read it in Hebrews chapter 10. We gather together, we don't forsake the assembly to encourage one another. As we see the day approaching. That's what Anna's doing. So beloved, really in closing, your presence as a Christian makes a difference. It's really that simple. There's, in a sense, we need one another. I need encouragement from y'all. And every single one of us need encouragement from each other. Just your presence, it makes a difference. And it's God's will for your good and for His glory. So do you long to be in the Lord's house? Do you long to be in church? Beloved, this is what Anna was doing. This is what we see faithful Anna doing. This is what we see God's will for you and I in the Scriptures. We see practical reasons. But I would, I would just say this, guys, to, to, to encourage you with this whole idea of the Lord's Day and just how important it is, guys. All of these things that we read from the Scriptures are true. This is where, in large part, not, not the only, it's not the only source that God uses. Especially with the technology we have now, there's so much good teaching we can listen to. I would encourage you to do that. But He uses the local church, He uses pastors and teachers to equip the saints. He uses the Lord's Day to encourage one another. But I would say the greatest motivation is just that He's worthy of it. He's commanded us to gather together when we're able. He is worthy of that. And that should be enough. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for uh, just this, this clear, encouraging command from Scripture, God, that You've given us. You've given us one another, God. You've given us the church. You've given us the body of Christ. You've given us instructions, Lord, so that we're not, we're not having to wonder what this looks like. You have given us that first day of the week, Father, that reminds us of Christ coming out of that grave and defeating death, hell, and the grave, God. We just are so thankful for that. Thankful for Your clear instructions. Father, another one of the things we see in Scripture that we get to do, that's a privilege to do, is remember our Lord's suffering through the Lord's Supper. Father, what a privilege we get to do that today, God, just as a visual reminder this reminder that we all need, God, of what Christ did on the cross. So, Father, I pray that as we take the Lord's Supper today, God, that we will do it, that we will do it humbly, but, Father, that we will do it joyfully. That as we take the bread and the drink, God, that we will remember, Father, your, the blood of your Son, a broken body that He endured on the cross as He suffered not just the, the wounds of men, but, Lord, as He suffered your wound, the wound of your judgment, the wound of your wrath, and it's because of that, God, that we will not have to experience that wrath. And so, Father, we just continue to worship You, Father, as we remember the Lord's Supper, as we sing to You once again. Father, we thank You and love You for all things. In Jesus' name, Amen.